Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Kowski cast. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski. And I'm Hannah Elam. And today we are getting spooky in September some more and continuing our coverage of the Netflix original, The Haunting of Hill House. We're taking a look back at season one to talk about all of our favorite moments. And today we're going to be diving right in with the second episode in the series, Open Casket. As the first episode was all about whether or not the kids believe in ghosts and if the supernatural is real, this episode's just all about death really the whole time. So on this episode, we're focusing on Shirley and we get glimpses of how she was introduced to death at Hill House. And now in the present, Shirley's around death all the time because she and her husband run a funeral home out of their house. But the business is struggling though, because Shirley continues to give discounts to a lot of the families that are coming through. And this is what we talked about last time when you had given me that would you rather of like being a ghost story writer or working at a funeral home. And I mentioned the emotional strain of working at a funeral home, especially for Shirley, who contrary to sort of the picture we had painted last time of like people who might be trying to take advantage of a family who's grieving, she seems to be someone who's very almost overcorrecting in the other direction of being like very understanding and respectful about death to the point where maybe her business isn't doing as well because she keeps giving discounts and things like that. Yeah, it, d- it definitely seems like it is not a place for a person who is empathetic because while you would want to give discounts to these people, you have to make a profit when you're running a business, right? Right. It's definitely a difficult position to be in, but it's also an interesting choice given her relationship that we find out about death, right? I mean, I I know she has someone that she can look up to that we find out later on in the episode, but it's definitely still a strange decision for a a life calling. Yeah, I don't know if it would be something that I would be... I mean, I know I wouldn't be particularly comfortable with it, mostly because of the more like medical aspect that we see from her. I think hosting funerals, like there's obviously a very kind of sad part. You need to be very in touch with your beliefs on life and death and the circle of life and all of that in order to just, you know, put on funerals. But we find out that she also actually, I, I don't know the correct name for it, but that like she is the person who does the the preserving and reconstructing of the bodies in her own house as well. That's why I'm guessing, because we talked about this last time of like, do they live in the building that is the funeral home? Because I can't imagine we find out she has kids, like the kids know that there's a morgue in the basement too. Yeah, we don't see the layout of her house. We don't get the we blueprint, blueprint of it. But it, yeah, I know. It definitely seems like there is a morgue in the basement of, of the house. And it's a mm. part of either, maybe it's underneath her garage or something, but she's hosting these people where she lives. Yeah, yikes. That's really the overall do you want to go into what happened in the flashback sections of this episode as well. Yeah, so in the past we see Shirley finds a box of kittens and they all end up dying. At first it's just one that dies and they have a funeral to honor this cat, but then later on all of them end up dying and we also get to see Shirley not only experience that death but then also at her mom's funeral and how the funeral director there helped her through the hard task of facing her dead mother. She's very scared. She doesn't want to go up and see her mom and when she goes up with the funeral director, she looks at him and says, you fixed her. And so it's definitely a moment where she realizes that there's there's this great job that you can do where you can help fix the people who are dead. And this episode overall, I think is really just like, it's definitely surely focused and it's really focused on her relationship with life and death, but also it's asking you, the viewer, does she have a healthy relationship with death? Because the whole kitten situation, so we actually get 
get some daytime shots in Hill House when they're living there. The kids playing outside. It still feels like a little bit ominous because we hear the Dudleys say again, oh, we don't stay on the property after, I don't know if they say after midnight or when it gets dark or whatever it is, but they don't stay there at night. And so there seems like they know something sort of off about the house. And the fact that they keep repeating, I think they say it four times in this episode, when the lights flash, it's time to come home, like that the mom is very concerned about like the kids being outside at night at this house. But the kids are all playing outside. This is when Shirley finds these kittens in like a shed kind of behind the house. Yeah. So back to the light flashing, I think that's more of like a, just a a note for them to know it's time to come home. Kind of like if you, I don't know, if you, I imagine if you're in the South and you like have a, like a little triangle that your mom comes out and rings, (laughs) like that sort of thing. I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, it's getting dark. So I'm going to flash the lights. Yeah. I mean, it's not just the South. Like I grew up on a bit of land and we used to, that sounded weird. Like we had like an acre. No, we just had, I mean, (laughs) we had like a relatively large yard. It wasn't, I'm not like, oh, we, we had a, I don't know, bit of land. No, we were out on the back 40, you know? Yeah, no, no, certainly (laughs) not. Certainly did not have a back 40, but we, I don't, I'm like, I'm so bad at, I'm so bad at numbers. So I don't even know like how much an acre is, but like, let's assume we had, I don't know, four acres. Does that even sound right at all? (laughs) I don't know. But we had like a, a fairly large yard behind our yard was some woods that were our properties. I don't know. I don't want to call it a forest, but some woods that were our property. We used to play back there a lot as kids and my mom would make us take walkie talkies and then she would like call on the walkie talkie, mostly because there was also like hunting back there sort of past our property in that area. And then there was also bears. So she would tell us to like be loud and like talk really loud when you walk, sing really loud, like wear bright colors so that like hunters wouldn't mistaken you for an animal and that kind of thing. And we never, I never, I saw many bears growing up, but never like when I was actually playing in the woods. So I guess us being loud and carrying the walkie-talkie work. But like that's a that's a very 21st century way of looking at it. I guess the they could have had a triangle, sure, or like a <laughs> gong. I don't know what you're really referring to, like a bell. Like oh, yeah, yeah, ding, like ding, a ding, little yeah, in. exactly, a little bell on the porch where it's like okay, dinner time. I feel like my mom would just like stand on the back porch and be like, all right, kids, time for dinner. I don't know, but anyway, I get your point. But I still feel like maybe it is just like a precautionary thing or like a thing that you tell your kids like you know don't get in the car with strangers or whatever i think that makes sense but it just the way they kept repeating it made you think it was something ominous and while nothing happened in this episode it's the kind of thing in the structure of the show that i'm like maybe something's gonna happen later you know i i feel like when you have a repeated sentence in something that you know is a mystery or a horror or whatever you're inclined to pay attention to it and maybe some of them are red herrings but i still caught it Mm -hmm. we'll see (laughs) i'm keeping my little notes about what may or may not come back but yeah she finds these kittens and the kittens also are near a wasp nest I think or like a some kind of insect nest that has formed itself around a mask like a Halloween mask and so it looks like a person at first which is really creepy yeah and this is one of those again one of those things where if you're not paying close enough attention you can miss it just because you see it at first from the flash of her camera and then it goes away and you see that she's scared but then when she takes a picture again you can kind of see it more but I think when I first watched this I don't think I was really actively looking at this part and I kind of like missed it and then when he goes and digs the mask out I was like I don't get why you mean you kind of have to look for it they're not always like immediately in your face type of scares yeah exactly it helped that I was watching it on the computer this time because I could pause and so I I saw a flash then I rewound it a couple seconds and and paused (laughs) it there so that I could see what it was so the whole deal with these kittens is she's taking care of these kittens and they die very quickly it seems like over the course of only like a day or two the first one is just kind of stiff and they and like you said they have a burial for it but it 
ends up being really eerie because when they take the cat out of the box to bury it, Shirley's holding it and she thinks it's moving because it's like mouth is moving, but then a bug crawls out and it's, I don't know why that was really, that was probably the most unnerving part of the episode for me. It's definitely a strange moment and as the viewer, you get a little hope back because you're like, oh, maybe it is like breathing again and then to have something as gross as that happen is just very disturbing. Yes. And then like you said, all of the other cats also die and one of them opens its eyes and its eyes are all like it doesn't have pupils or something. I don't know what was going on Yeah. There. Well, and we learned that it didn't actually die from the disease or whatever these other cats died from. The parents took it and, and had to kill it themselves. So, yeah. you know, it's not very happy endings for these kittens. No. And the mom, she was talking to her father and was like, great. Shirley's going to have like a really messed up view of death now because of this traumatic thing for a child to go through. Well, and we see it's not only the kitten's death that she experiences, but then eventually she also experiences her mom's death. So it's definitely a lot for a child at any age to go through. Other than the fact that it was very unnerving with the whole kitten situation, most of the rest of the flashback scenes weren't particularly scary or intense. There was a nice conversation where we find out that the mom's job is that she designs the homes or I guess designs maybe some of the changes that this family makes on the houses and then that the father is the one who carries it out. And there's a whole discussion here about her. She's designing this house that she's calling the forever home, which is the house that they're going to live in when they're done, you know, selling houses and they don't have to move anymore. She talks a lot about, and I think this is what you were talking about last time, last episode when I was mentioning wanting to know about the blueprints of the Hill House, which is that she says a house is like a person's body. The walls are the bones, pipes are the veins. It needs to breathe, needs light and flow, works together to keep us safe inside. And that every house needs a heart because that's where you're going to spend most time together as a family. And she's saying in her forever home design that the dining room is going to be the heart of the house because it's in the center and stuff. Yeah. And so we learn more about the family as a whole and, and what they do with houses. And we also see her affinity for setting up a house in a loving way, a way that encourages the family to be together and have great meals. It's just a way of them dreaming for what is to come. Yeah, definitely. And and the other thing, the other line I noted here is one of the daughters says like, oh, I it just looks like lines to me. I wouldn't even know how to do that. She says, when you're little, you see things that aren't real. And when you're grown up, you learn how to make them real, which again is like, just like a nice sentence. But when you're thinking about it in context of knowing this is a show, it's like, that's gonna be something creepy, probably. I don't know. I just don't like the implication there about that. But that's most of the flashback scenes. Do you have anything else from the past that you'd want to talk about? Yeah. So when the parents are talking after the mom has talked with Shirley, right during her talk with Shirley, she experiences what she later refers to as a color storm. And so I think that you had mentioned that this was kind of an interesting moment. She sort of seems to be having like a headache. So to me, I immediately thought this might be like a migraine, migraine aura situation with color storms because a lot of people who have migraine auras, which if you don't know, are usually visual components or they could just be other sensory components that go along with a migraine. And a lot of people will see almost like sunspots if you stared at the sun too long and then you look away and you like still see the outline of the sun. Sort of similar to that, you'll see like wavy lines sort of in the corner of your vision and sometimes they're colorful spots on your vision or maybe like for me, it's sort of like my vision, it's not exactly tunnel vision, but it sort of like gets a little darker kind of. So I know that I've experienced that type of thing before, usually right before you get migraines or or potentially during them. And I know my father, my brother also get them. So that's what I immediately thought of when she talks about the color storms. But she says like in this instance, it was different because she didn't see color. She saw all 
all black when this was happening, but she kind of seems to freak out a little bit and, and start crying while Shirley's getting upset. Yeah, I personally have never experienced a migraine, and she does refer to it later on as like, it was a terrible time to get a migraine, so I think that is what we're to believe is happening, but it does seem like a very terrible time for that sort of pain to come on. That's the thing about migraines. They're usually stress-induced. They happen, <laughs> they usually happen right when you're stressed out or right when you're done being stressed. So they happen like when you're taking tests or having intense things going on when your kids are misbehaving or conversely like it's the weekend your stress disappears and you're supposed to go do something fun and that's when a migraine can come in so yeah they, they, migraines just have the worst timing in general in the first episode it's kind of alluded to that mom was mentally ill and you know maybe there's something here where like migraines are connected to that as well but you know we are getting a little bit more insight to the family especially in the past and in present day we see that Shirley finds out about Nell's death and, you know, wants to know more answers on exactly what happened. But then it almost immediately turns to anger at Steve for not doing more to help Nell, even though she surely knew that something was really wrong with her. Shirley eventually takes on the task to not only hold Nell's funeral, but also to do the restoration herself, which is a very heavy task to take on. Yeah, a lot of people question it, like her husband questions it. I think her kids kind of question it. Her family does. This is kind of what I meant earlier about like in some ways it seems like she has this really mature outlook on life and death because of what the man at the funeral home told to her at her mom's funeral about how she was able to fix her mom and like make sure that she was right and fixed at this point. And I think that there's something maybe that Shirley feels like she wants control over death or the death of her loved ones. And so she wants the ability to fix them, to make things better, to put them back the way they're supposed to be. There's also a scene earlier on in the episode where she's talking with the child, I think his name is Max, whose grandmother died in the previous episode, and she's talking, trying to convince him that it won't be scary to look at the open casket because he says, you know, he has all these visions of his grandmother and that his grandmother is showing up in his dreams, or he says, sitting on his bed at night, and he says he doesn't like the way she looks because she doesn't have teeth, she doesn't have hair, and Shirley kind of like talks through it, much like Steve did in the first episode, like logical reasons of why the child might be doing this. Like, oh, well, I'm sure you know that your grandmother wore a wig and you saw her like that and you knew she had dentures, etc. And we see her restoring this woman and putting hair on her head and putting makeup on her. And she says that the reason she does this is because the open casket gives loved ones the opportunity to look upon their loved one as the way they should be when they're all, they're all fixed and right. And that that will be the lasting image you have of them to replace all of the other ones, which I think is interesting because normally you hear it the other argument which is like that people don't want to see their loved one when they're dead because they want the living memories of them but I guess it, it probably just sort of depends what those living memories are yeah well in this case we know that the grandmother was in the hospital and she wasn't doing too well and so maybe going back to what you were used to seeing her as would be a comforting thing it can be really hard seeing someone at the end of their life I experienced this for the first time this year for myself and while we didn't have a open casket funeral for my grandfather because he was cremated, I was there when he was in hospice. While it was mostly peaceful, you know, he was in the hospital for a long time and I still try to... I watched a lot of home movies after, in, in the months following his his passing and I think for me it's like those are still going to be the, the, the more lasting images for me. But I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm an adult. I'm 25 years old. I think it's a little bit of a different scenario than probably someone who's the age that Shirley was when her mom passed or, or Max, 
here who are much younger and maybe more impressionable, but also just like the the memories of when you're so young can fade so much easier with time. So like, I don't have any issues remembering my grandfather as he was in my life, but I'm very fortunate in that way. So I can't imagine though wanting to be involved personally in that restoration process. And we see the details of what happens exactly there. And it is a very involved process where at one point she's on the phone with Steve and she's like, I'm elbow deep in my sister's chest cavity, you know, pulling out her organs. And we see her break down a little bit, but it's definitely not to the extent that you would think. And maybe it is because this is part of her job. And I think part of the reason too, like I personally am a very controlling person. I like things done a specific way. And I see that being how Shirley is coming about this, right? In the fact that, you know, she talks about all of the decay and other things that could have happened in Nell's body. And so she wants it to be done right. And so she's just going to do it herself because it's easier than trying to run someone else through it. So I do understand part of where it comes from, but it it definitely is a very questionable choice. Yeah, I think some of it could also potentially be guilt-ridden or, or guilt-related where, you know, she had been receiving these phone calls from Nell who seemed distressed and maybe she thinks I could have in some way prevented this death or, you know, my siblings could have. And so I need to like take responsibility for it by taking care of her now is another way I looked at it. We definitely see Shirley taking a leader position throughout both the present day and even in the flashbacks, we learn a little bit more about Luke and his first experience in rehab and how Shirley was funding all of those. Yeah, she appeared to be pretty much paying it herself and it was like very expensive. Yeah, and we we don't know what the ballpark was with insurance, but we do know that it's $6,000 a month. And we also get a flashback at Nell's wedding where Luke shows up and we see that Shirley is kind of done funding funding the rehab because we don't know what time this was, what number of times he's been to rehab at this point, but we do know that he's left and he's u- already using again. Yeah, and then she doesn't want him to ruin Nell's wedding, which I thought was kind of sad because, you know, they're, they're siblings. Luke and Nell are twins, I believe. Yes. So they're probably, you would imagine, pretty close. The thing about the funding, I'm a little bit confused of why the price was so much if like, does, what if Shirley had insurance? Couldn't like, wouldn't that make the price go down? I guess not because she's not the one receiving the care, even though she's the one funding it. Yeah, insurance is on the person. It's not necessarily the person who's paying for it. So the timeline's a little bit confusing here because we don't know exactly how long ago this happened, but it appears to be before Steve wrote the book about Hill House because he doesn't seem to, to really have much money and he's he's still a writer, but it said he says like, oh, fiction's not selling very well. People don't care about historical fiction. Right. The first time we know that it's before, but then at Nell's wedding, there is some tension between Shirley. Because, yes, he's written the book by that point. Yes. Right. And that's something else because we hear a couple times in the first couple episodes that Shirley's, even though she's acting like she's the oldest, Stephen's actually the oldest, I believe. Yes. But we see like she's still taking care of her family. She's housing Theo in some capacity, funding Luke's rehab situation, and then taking care of Nell in death. So it's definitely getting a lot more, filling in some more gaps here. We we learn a little bit about Shirley's family. She has two kids, it looks like, a younger daughter who seems to take after Theo. She's like wearing gloves in the same way that Theo is, which we don't really know what exactly is about. Theo says that she's a germaphobe, but I presume it's going to be more than just that, especially considering the next episode is called Touch. So I just feel like that's going to have something there. And she has this whole subplot with her son who like wants a Halloween costume, but she just bought him a plain mask to wear. And she's like, you can decorate it. He's like, I don't want to decorate 
decorated. I just want a Daredevil costume. Instead, you just bought me a plain mask. And he just writes lame on it. It's kind of a ridiculous thing for a mom when you're considering it. But, it, you know, it does give us that parallel between the Halloween mask that the wasp nest was built around mm-hmm. and then the present time where there's the blank Halloween mask for her son. But it, it does kind of introduce a little comedy element to it. Uh, a little sure. comedy, but I think also it's hinting at perhaps some more money issues like we were talking about. Maybe things are a little, maybe money's a little tight for Shirley's family and she can't maybe afford the Daredevil costume or that's just not where she wants to spend her money. But we also see, we don't have an answer to this yet, but that she finds a checkbook of her husband's from presumably a bank account she doesn't know about because it's like just in his name, not in there. I'm, ass- I'm assuming maybe they have like a joint account and she confides in Theo about that, but we don't know. More, more to see from that in the future, I guess. Obviously, we know that like Nell had a wedding, so she was married, but we haven't heard anything about her husband in the present day. We do see Stephen's wife, but there's still like some unresolved issues, it seems like, between them as well. Yeah, we're finding out more about the characters, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, I just want to know. I want to know what's going on. I'm so, <laughs> no, no present day Luke in this episode. So don't know where he is since he ran off with the camera and the $200 that Steven gave him after the first one. Overall, I think the first episode drew me in a little bit more initially just because there was more spooky stuff. Well, I mean, there was a lot of spooky stuff in this one, but I think the first one was more like captivating physical, well, physical ghost people. Whereas this one, there's just more like eerie things that we'll talk about in a second. One thing though, that was not eerie at all. Did you notice the homestead creamery milk that was in this episode? Yes. When I was first watching this, I got so excited. So homestead creamery is actually a creamery that is around in Southwest Virginia, which is very close to where Mary and I both went to college together. And so it's a nice little nod to something. I I don't even know if you would actually have homestead creamery all the way up in Massachusetts or if they have multiple locations. I don't know if that was just something that like maybe someone in the props department likes homestead creamery (laughs) put it in because it made me go, oh my gosh, homestead creamery. Because yeah, the homestead creamery cows live on property owned by our university. So it's just something that their chocolate milk is really good. And the ice cream. And their ice cream. Yes. I don't think I've ever had their plain milk, but I assume that it is also good if you like milk. Yeah. I've had their plain milk and their eggnog and I can say Ooh, they're both eggnog. very enjoyable. Yeah. I didn't know they had eggnog. It's only seasonal. So oh, I'll have to it. try that. Yeah. So that's really all the details of this episode. What did you think of it as a whole? I, I can kind of agree with you. I think in this beginning part of the season, we're really learning more about the family and we're still getting information. We're trying to put all the puzzle pieces together. And for me, when I first watched this, I think I watched it in a manner of a weekend or like over a week. So they kind of all run together at at some point. So I don't know that this one necessarily stands out as uh, crazy, but it, it definitely has some eerie aspects to it still. Yes, which we can do now in updating our death toll. We can add the five kittens to the death toll. I believe that's all the deaths in this episode since we covered Nell in episode one. But that we're up to eight now. Those kittens really take a hit. That's yeah. uh, really bumping up our score here. More more than doubled us, so. Yes, for sure. What did you think was the scariest moment for our superlatives? So for me, it was kind of, I couldn't decide if it was the wasp around the mask or if it was the bug in the kitten's mouth. I think both of those are. For me, it's the bug in the kitten's mouth. 
kitten's mouth just because of young Shirley's like hope that the kitten mm. is alive. And it's like, it's not just, oh, I hope the kitten's alive. Oh, no, it's not. It's not just is the kitten not alive. Here's a really creepy traumatic thing to experience. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a uh, one of those that will haunt you. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that one. As for the funniest moment, I just think the whole subplot with the son having the blank mask is hilarious. They're at the dinner table and the dad keeps saying like, oh, I kind of like Captain Lame Mask. And then later on, the kid says something rude and he's like, watch it, Captain Lame. <laughs> I just think that's really great. Yeah, that subplot definitely gives us a, a much desired comic relief in this episode yeah, that is need that. pretty heavy. <laughs> I would say this show is like hitting right around 8% comedy and I would be perfectly fine if they bumped it up to like, you know, 15. But <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. Yeah. So for this episode, I have a couple would you rathers again. And uh, one of those actually is around both of our scariest moments. So would you rather find a wasp nest around a mask or have a bug crawl out of a dead kitten's mouth? For sure, the bug's nest one, just because, I mean, assuming that there are not wasps in it, because I'm like really terrified. I think, you know what, even if there were wasps in it, I still think that I would rather that. I am not, don't come for me, guys. I am not particularly like a pet person. I've owned hamsters and those little poor hamster deaths were traumatic enough for me. So I don't think I could handle like a a kitten or any other type of animal death. And then like the bug just adds, it's not like exactly adding insult to injury, but it's like adding a creepy thing to an already sad thing. I don't need that. Yeah. It's it's kind of the one-two punch in a way. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I can agree with that. I think that finding a nest, even if it's inhabited, is a little less traumatizing. Because once you realize what it is, it's like, okay. Yeah. Move on. The the initial shock might be more, but. Right. And then would you rather find your husband's hidden checkbook or be the funeral director for your sister's funeral? I don't know where this husband's checkbook thing is going, (laughs) so I don't know. I think if it's just like, hey, my husband is like wanting to make sure that we have some, like there's plenty good things. Like maybe the husband is, needs some to write checks for like some sort of charity thing or like something that's like good on the side, but he just hasn't told you about yet. Or maybe it's just like a precaution because he's afraid that you're going to spend all your money by giving away freebies at your funeral home. (laughs) I I think they're, I'm going to hold on hope for that one. I don't think I, I know I could not be the funeral director for a sibling. That's just, I don't want to think about like siblings funerals right now. Yeah. But I, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. I think this one's a pretty easy finding your husband's hidden checkbook. Yeah, look, me. I can find another <laughs> husband, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's... Okay, I well, let's not... You don't, need to, you don't need to go that far, but I think... <laughs> oh, right, I'm not married yet. Yeah, I guess uh, you having a husband, maybe you don't want to think about... Hey, I actually, you have a husband and you have siblings. I feel like... Uh, so you'd still rather... Yeah, oh, I yeah. think you trust Brian enough that you would assume it was something good. <laughs> yeah, you... Not even assuming. You just go and have a conversation. Like, right. it's not... It's not that hard, hard to talk about it. Should we be getting on Shirley for talking to Theo about this instead of just like talking to her husband? I I think that, you know, there are some maybe hard things if you're in business with your husband and you find, I mean, maybe, maybe we don't know the Jump full, to conclusions. Yeah, yeah, no, just assume that it's a really easy conversation, but. What does Kevin do? Shirley seems to be doing everything for the funeral home. What does he do? Buy the flowers? No, he does the books. That's the deal that they had, right? She does the. Everything. Yeah. And then he does the business And he does side. the books. Because it seems like she's also like speaking with the families and yeah. I don't know. Okay. So in this episode, we have two more possible ghosts and we didn't really have any answered for our previous possible ghosts. So we see Luke's imaginary friend, the girl in the blue dress in the woods. And so did you have any thoughts on when we see this girl here? Yeah. My first
first thought was, I can't remember if we know her name or not, but I was thinking like maybe that's Abigail. <laughs> that's that's all I could think of so far, just because he said that name in the first one. Also, it seems like I paused it on her. She seemed pretty normal. Like she's like a little girl, little blonde girl in a blue dress. So she's standing there all creepy. But other than that, she didn't have like gouged out eyes or anything from what I could tell. She's yeah. pretty far away. Not the gaping mouth that we saw in the, yeah. one of those images. So I'm not really sure. I, I don't have answers with that yet. Young Luke is adorable also. Whatever actor they got <laughs> to play him is just the cutest little thing. Yeah. So no answers on that one yet. Could be Abigail. Could be some random other possible ghost that we're seeing. And then another possibility is uh, we see a man lifting his glass to Shirley and he's sitting on her couch. So what were your thoughts when you saw this? Yeah. So this is kind of what I was saying about like, is she hallucinating? Is she just zoning out and like thinking back to a time where there was a guy sitting on that couch and she's just like remembering something? Or does she literally see, if it's true that she literally sees a ghost there, she handles it very well because her husband and son are in the room talking to her while she's kind of seeing this. I mean, out of all the ghosts we've seen so far, I liked this one the best. He acknowledged her. He just raised his glass and smiled. Didn't have a bent neck. He didn't have long, creepy hair. He wasn't even like little kids. You know, we've seen The Shining. We know little kids are creepy, but this guy looked more or less normal. So yeah, if he is a ghost or if he's not, you know, he would definitely be on the Casper the Friendly Ghost spectrum of Yeah, this. I think so. So far. In this episode, we do have a lot of strange happenings, however. So one of the first things we learn about is that the kids are hearing dogs barking outside at night. And mm-hmm. that's why Shirley kind of wants to take the kittens in because they hear dogs. So they're thinking their dogs roaming around and could potentially harm the kittens. Despite the fact that the, I keep wanting to call them the Dursleys. <laughs> The Dudleys insist that there are no dogs and that they don't know of any dogs in the area. So that's suspicious. Very strange. We also have both Theo and Shirley experiencing very loud bangings on the wall. And the dad comes in and insists that it's just pipes. But I have never personally experienced banging pipes that I can think of. I don't think it would sound like this. I have recently. So my new apartment, I have not heard banging pipes. But my new apartment is situated where I do hear like water noises in pipes frequently in my mm-hmm. apartment. At my parents' house, they recently finished the bathroom in the basement. And when you're in that one, like something to do with the pipes and the pressure or something like that, if you take a shower down there, it does make a really loud banging noise in the pipe kind of like that. But what sounded in this one was like a person knocking behind the walls very loudly and like insistently. Like this, it would be more like you're showering and you hear one loud bang and that would be it. So it's definitely a different noise. For me, the weirdest part was that the dad came in and he said he didn't hear anything. I'm like, right. that was really loud. Like, you should be able to hear that. Yeah, it was almost the point where, like, picture frames would have fallen off the wall, but it seemed that intense. Right, exactly. So, of course, we've already talked about the infected kittens in this episode, but we also see a sort of throwback to that moment when Shirley is restoring Nell's body. We see a bug crawl out of Nell's mouth. Yeah, and that's another one where I'm like, is she just sort of imagining things? Is she hallucinating? Or is, like, is this really happening? Because I'm, like, more inclined to believe now naturally that the stuff that's happening in Hill House is more happening, like actually happening, whereas maybe just like the trauma that they went through is sort of like haunting the kids, but it's in their own mind. Then again, Nell's ghost was across the country in Steve's house. So it's not just confined to the Hill House, I guess. And, <laughs> yeah. and right after this, like the more the more scary part was that we also see the mom's body also sitting in the morgue. Yeah. So the mom's in the morgue and she sits up and she's holding the purple box that held the dead kid. So it's definitely another very strange happening. And honestly, it could be a a possible ghost sighting, but I think this one's more unclear just
just because it seems to be more of what you're talking about where like maybe this is just a hallucination right because she comes back and it and it's gone so yeah she turns on the light and everything's gone but then i don't know how you explain unless it was just sort of done as like a fun little editing thing and you're not supposed to read too much into it that at the end there's a model of a forever home also upstairs in shirley's office and at the end the the porch light on the forever home model flashes yeah so i mean i kind of took this as like oh it's time to come home so maybe we're gonna see them go back to hill house yeah like it's calling to them hey guys it's time to come home so yeah that was eerie and then this is not exactly like the same as a strange happening but i do think that the timing and the the intensity and difference in the color storm that the mom gets because she says it's like it's like fireworks but it was pitch black and so it seems like it's different than other types of migraines that she's gotten before something about that i think i'm just gonna add to like the list of eerie things that happened in this episode yeah quite a lot of them yeah cool well we're moving right along everyone feel free to send us comments and questions on our website or on twitter at KowskiCast. that's cow with the k you can also check out all of our other podcasts on our website or on itunes spotify or your favorite podcatcher got all sorts of things going on in kowski cast you can follow me online at frail mary and you can follow hannah at hannah v.exe hannah with one h on instagram and if you enjoyed this podcast we would love it if you left a five-star rating and review it's really the best way for other people to find out and as an added bonus we will read your review if you leave it we'll read it on the podcast yes if it wasn't clear we're recording these first two episodes back to back so we haven't had time if anyone has left us any comments on twitter or anything to read those but we will do that in the future reviews are our preferred method but if you want to send us a i don't know message on twitter or slide into my kowski cast dms feel free all right everyone that's all for this episode thank you for joining us and we'll be back next time for our coverage of episode three touch maybe we'll get some theo stuff for now we're the kowski cast thanks for listening bye